Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God to the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things to which the angels long to look into. That is the reading of God's Word, and you guys can be seated. As I mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series this week out of First Peter, and our wonderful pastor, Kenan, gets to uh, lead that effort off. And so uh, if you guys would join with me in praying for him uh, as he delivers the word he, gave, he got this week. So... You ready? Yep. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, Kenan. I thank you, Lord, for his, um, his study. I thank you for all that you've done in him and through him this week as he has prepared this word for us. And God, I pray, Lord, that um, you would empower him, that the Holy Spirit would, uh, would empower him to speak these words with boldness and clarity and love and um, whatever it is we need to hear, Father. I pray, Lord, that um, you would empower Kenan to uh, preach the word. We pray for our hearts to receive it. Uh, we pray for fertile soil so that we can receive it with joy. And uh, that, Father, we don't just come into this place, Lord, and uh, say that we've been here on a Sunday, that we did our duty this week for church, but that we come in here, Lord, being transformed by your glorious word, by the salvation that you've um, done in us and through us. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, City Light. Good morning. Are you awake? 
I know it's a vacation weekend, seats are a little more empty than they were last week, but I'm going to need you with me this morning because the verse we just read is like Peter getting super excited about what's going on. I don't know if you noticed how many of those sentences were like three verses at a time. This is like Peter getting pumped up and excited about what we're going to talk about. So I need you guys excited with me too, all right? I think... Now that I'm thinking about it, I think I preached Memorial Day, right? So I kind of capped the summer from Memorial Day to Labor Day. I get both of those days, so that's awesome. Uh, but let me, let me take you back to the year 2003. The setting is my friend Daniel's house, and the game is Home Run Derby. The problem is we were getting way too old to play baseball in a backyard, Now, I know like the immediate reaction is to run and think that we hit a window or a car or something. That wasn't the problem. We were smart enough to use Nerf balls. We thought ahead. The problem is, is that as we were getting older, the first fence hitting it out of my friend's yard became more and more commonplace, and pretty soon we would almost never get out. And so the goal became to actually push back to the second fence, to the neighbor, past the neighbor. If we can get it into their yard, it counts as a point. And so we tried with all our might. The thing is, is that fence way back there, it was like a six-foot-tall privacy fence. So it's like our own little green monster or something. We could not get over, no matter how hard we tried, Until one day, yours truly made sports history. (laughs) I didn't realize that day that I would uh, accomplish a feat of sportsmanship so vast that my children and their children and their children would be talking about it. Cue that Carrie Job song, and their children and the fame. Nobody else knows that song in high school, no. Uh, But no, I, I hit a home run. That's, that's pretty much all I'm trying to say. I hit a home run over the second fence. But here's the problem. We didn't know what waited for us over that fence. We'd never been there before. So, ignorantly, I just hopped straight over the fence. And as soon as I landed, I saw staring straight in my eyes a monstrous, vicious dog. Kind of like the beast in Sandlot. I just kept hearing in my head over and over, forever. And I'm like, I'm out. So I jumped right back over. And the truth is, it was actually like a little ankle biter named Pookie. But for my own pride, let's pretend that it's a giant dog named the beast. Uh, Anyway, we had to figure out a way to get our ball back out of my neighbor's backyard away from Pookie. So we came up with a plan. The plan was pretty simple. One person would hop the fence, kind of catty corner, distract the dog while the other fence hopped, the other friend hopped the fence, grabbed the ball, tossed it over his head to our friend and ran away. So this is a little distraction plan. And we, we ran our plan to perfection over the next couple years, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And I know you're asking, what does that have to do with the book of 1 Peter? Well, let me tell you. In our uh, book today, we're beginning a series through the book of 1 Peter. And in it, Peter is writing to a church that is living perpetually in Pookie's backyard, so to speak. Living in hostile, unknown, uncertain territory. They are strangers to the land in which they live. 1 Peter is a book written to believers in under persecution in Rome. So they were living in unknown, foreign, hostile territory. 
And so the church in this book is asking the question, like, how? How do we live in a world that is hostile towards the things of God? How do we live for Jesus in a scenario like this? And 1 Peter reminds us who we are as disciples of Jesus and who we are to be as disciples of Jesus. Throughout his book, he says that followers of Jesus are born again. Next week, we're going to talk about how we are to be holy We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are sojourners and exiles. It talks, it tells us how to be sufferers and citizens and family. Peter gives us all sorts of insights into how we are to live as citizens of God's kingdom in the kingdoms of men. First Peter tells us who we are, who we are to become, and he also tells us why. Why should we be people like this? And the answer Peter gives is over and over and over is that we are to be all these things for the glory of God. This gets unpacked a bit in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. It says, in this, and that's referring to being born again, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the question is why? Why do we rejoice in our suffering? So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter reminds an embattled church that they are for his glory. We are born again for his glory. We are set apart for his glory. We are maturing as disciples of Jesus and coming to equip class next week for his glory. We are a royal priesthood for his glory. Exiles, sojourners, sufferers, husbands, wives, students, workers. We are united and joyful all for the glory of God. We are for his glory. And Peter starts off this book by reminding us that we are born again for his glory. Let's jump into 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied with you. And the first thing I want to point out this morning is who Peter is writing to. Peter is addressing his letter to the Christians in Rome as exiles. And this is a theme that's going to pop up later in our book. And I get to preach that in a couple, in like a month or so. So I'm not going to go too in depth on that. But Peter calls the Christians in his day exiles because they do not belong to the kingdom in which they live. And neither do we. Notice this book isn't written to a specific church. It's written to all the churches across Rome who are living under persecution. Peter meant this to be a universal letter to a universal church. And so we too are exiles. This is fundamentally how Peter sees the church. As exiles. We live in a land that is not our own. We are spiritual refugees. We are temporary residents. Like, this is not our home. And to use my story from earlier as an analogy, we are living in the neighbor's backyard where the cosmic pookie is napping at our heels, aiming to steal, kill, and destroy. We are exiles in this land. 
Man, our citizenship does not lie in the country we live and vote in. Our desires and affections are not shaped by the kingdoms of men or those who rule them. We belong to a different kingdom. We pledge allegiance to a country without borders, without flags, and it's ruled by an eternal king of all glory. This is not our home. We are exiles here. Peter is written, 1 Peter is written to a suffering church. So the question is like, why should we read it? We aren't currently suffering. We aren't being thrown in jail and killed for our faith. But I think it's because of that we need to all the more remind ourselves where our true citizenship lies because it's easy to fall into the trap of belonging and hoping in the things that this world is hoping for when the kingdoms of men promise or, or bring you comfort and ease and success. So I'm, I'm going to stop there because <laughs> I've got to preach that in a couple months. So hold on there. But the point, we need First Peter. We need to read First Peter because we too are exiles. Peter continues in verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter begins his letter by setting the foremost identity of who we are in Christ, in Christ's work done for us. Peter says, your first, your foremost, and your central identity is as one who has been born again. We are born again. And over time, uh, that word, born again, that phrase has been used to like kind of define a certain kind of Christian and it's been kind of used to like as kind of a, a, a sneer, like you're one of those born again Christians. And let me tell you that born again Christian is kind of like the word ATM machine. Like the M is already in it. It's an automated teller machine, not an automated teller machine machine. You don't need the, the thing. All followers of Jesus are born again by definition. There's no such thing as a Christian who has not been born again. The essence of being a Christian is being born again. And and nobody understood that more than our author, Peter, because Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Remember, Peter walked with Jesus for years. He watched him do miracles. He heard the teaching straight from Jesus' mouth. Peter was one of Jesus' closest, most trusted disciples. Peter was actually the first disciple to declare Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. Yet Peter, on the night Jesus was arrested, he fell asleep when Jesus asked him to pray. He attempted to murder a Roman And finally, he denied Jesus three times, once to a little girl. (laughs) Peter totally blew it. Though he walked with Jesus all those years, though he was like high up on the disciple totem pole, Peter blew it. Peter fell asleep on Jesus. He let his anger get the best of him, and he betrayed his friend. And Jesus 
died that night. Jesus was strung up, nailed to a cross. And can you imagine what's going through Peter's mind? Can you imagine being in Peter's shoes, knowing that this man who died, who I loved dearly, I betrayed him, and he ended up dead? Think about the guilt that Peter had. Think about the shame he lived with, that voice that was in the back of his head that called out to him, you're a coward. You're an idiot. You good for nothing. You're a failure. I'm sure Peter thought that those labels would follow him for the rest of his days. But a funny thing happened on the Sunday after Jesus was killed. If you don't know, he was resurrected from the grave. And then that risen Jesus had a conversation with Peter. The same Peter who had failed him. The same Peter who had betrayed him. The same Peter that abandoned him and disowned him. Jesus talks to Peter. And in this conversation, Jesus says to Peter the same exact words. The first words that Jesus spoke to Peter in scripture. And that is, follow me. It's in this moment where Jesus completely restores Peter. It's like as if the betrayal, the sin, the failure never even happened. It's a rewinding of the clock. It's calling us back to the moment when Peter and Jesus first met. Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you can start from the beginning again. You can be made new. You can have a second chance. You can have a new Life. Jesus knew Peter didn't just need to be a better version of himself. Like, yeah, I'm Peter. I used to be a coward, but I'm a little less cowardly now. No. Like, Peter needed to be born again. Peter needed to be completely redeemed. He needed to be a new creation. That's what we all need. We all need to be born again. We all need to go back to the beginning. We all need to be made whole, to be made new. And here's the gospel truth that changed Peter's life. It changed my life. It changed the life of dozens of others in this room this morning. Jesus died not to make us better versions of ourselves. Jesus died to make us new creations, to make us born again, to give us a fresh start, to wipe clear the slate of our sin. Jesus took all our sin, all our shame, our screw-ups, all of our worst moments. Jesus took the punishment for those things on the cross. And if we place our trust in him, our sin died with him. Our sinful self is dead. It's gone. And because Jesus was resurrected from the grave, we are promised that we too are made new, that we are raised to new life, that we are born again. Romans 6, 3 through 10 says it this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you trust in what he has done for you on the cross, your old self has died. Your sin has been left behind. And now you walk in the newness of life that he created you for. This is the unbelievable truth for all those who've trusted in Jesus. This is the truth that turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago. And this is the truth that Peter is declaring in his letter. That all who are in Christ are born again. We are saved. We are made new. We are born again. So Peter continues in verse 6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Again, we're remembering that Peter's writing to a church in trials. And so he says, We've been born again. So when trials come, rejoice anyway. Like, when trials come, rejoice anyway, for you have been saved. You have been born again. And Peter says in verse 5, we have been given an eternal inheritance that can't be touched in Christ Jesus. So rejoice when trials come. Don't fight against them. Rejoice because the thing that, that we most long for is to be born again. Like We are made new in Christ. So you can rejoice when trials come because your ultimate hope is not in your own success, in your own safety, in your own comfort. Your ultimate hope is the fact that one day he will come and make all things new. So verse 7, we continue. So it says, Rejoice so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire. It may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here is why we endure. This is why we rejoice in trials. Here is why we were born again. It's for the praise and glory of Jesus. We are born again for his glory. Throughout scripture, it's made clear that God's favor on us is ultimately meant to show off his glory, his goodness, his grandeur. Our salvation is meant for God's glory. It's a theme found all over Scripture. We are born again for His glory. I'm going to run through some verses really fast. So if you're a note taker, be ready. Psalm 23, that's a familiar passage to us. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. In Ezekiel 20, God saved Israel from Egypt for the sake of his own name. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul prays for the church that God may be glorified. Ephesians 1, 12, we are saved to the praise of his glory. John 12, 27, 28 gives us an exact mission from the mouth of Jesus of why he came and why he had to die. It says this, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And in the same way, in 1 Peter, we have patterns that Peter gives us that says, you are to be blank for his glory. 
There's one pretty famous passage in Peter that says that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. And the question is why? Well, 1 Peter 2.9 says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Just a few verses later, Peter reminds us that we are exiles and strangers in this world and says we should operate as such. Why? 1 Peter 2.12, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. In Peter 4, we get a stirring encouragement to be more like Jesus. And in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, In order that in everything God may be glorified. Over and over and over again, the message is clear that we are for his glory. We are for his glory. And talking about our passage, is like we are born again for his glory. Let me set up this whole series like what God has done in us was never meant to be a personal experience that changed your life but didn't change the world around you. No, the gospel is so much better than that. It's so much better than a simple ticket to heaven. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has lived, died, and resurrected for the renewal of all things. And that includes you, but it doesn't end at you. We are born again for his glory. So when people see how God has changed our life, we point to him and tell about how awesome he was. It's not for our own self-righteousness. It's not so that we can try to be better than thou, holier than thou. It's so that when people see us, we can declare the work that God has done in us. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In everything we do, we declare the goodness and graciousness and might of our God. Even as we recount, as we remember, as we talk about our own salvation, like none of our salvation story is I got myself cleaned up. I put myself on the right track. And I put these five simple things in line and no, it's he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He rescued me from my powerful enemy. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's the gospel message. That's the truth that he rescued me, that Jesus said, that Jesus saved me, that I'm messed up, I've screwed up just like Peter did, but he still made me new. He made me born again. Church, we are born again, not so that we simply get a ticket to heaven, but so that we could live as Christ's ambassadors, bringing glory, honor, and praise to his name. We are born again for his glory. Like what God has done for us is so amazing. It's so great. It's so confounding. Like how could we keep it to ourselves. In prayer this morning, Chuck was talking about like when you fall in love with somebody, you almost become unbearable how much you talk about it. It's like, all right, we get it. They're cool. But can we talk about anything else, please? But like as followers of Jesus, when we recognize how deep our sin had taken us, when we realize that there was no way we could fix ourselves, but God saved us, then how could we not proclaim his goodness, his glory, instead of our own self-righteousness? Look at the way Peter describes our salvation in verse 10 through 12. It says this, Concerning this salvation, 
The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heavens, things into which angels long to look. Like God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who spoke the stars into existence and painted the galaxies as if you were doing a watercolor on a piece of paper. That same God, he saw the sin of the world and he saw that no matter how hard we tried no man no woman nobody was able to make themselves right to make themselves new we were futile in our efforts to fight against sin and we were even more powerless in a way to overturn sin and to heal all the broken things so god the eternal perfect holy all loving all powerful omnipresent God, he put on flesh and came down to it, came down to us. He experienced all the trials we faced. He lived the life that none of us could live. He gave sight to the blind. He loved the unlovable. He fed the hungry, healed the broken. He was perfect. He never sinned, but he still was subjected to the futility of sin when he was arrested on trumped up charges, when the bloodthirsty crowd and the misguided religious elite, when they cried out for him to be crucified. He felt the effects of sin in his arrest. And he bore the punishment for sin on the cross. The perfect, holy God took on your sin and mine on the cross and he died. And he was taken down from the cross and he was wrapped in linen garments. He was put in a borrowed tomb because he would not be there long. For on Sunday he was resurrected to new life. So that not only do we have forgiveness of our sin on the cross, we are born again to walk in that new life. Like we can be made new. We can be made whole. Your shame can be turned to glory. You can find hope if you're hopeless because the risen Jesus offers you himself this morning. He offers new life this morning. You can be born again. If you come, if you ask forgiveness of your sin, you can be born again. This fabulous truth, Peter says, is what the prophets of the Old Testament waited on bated breath for. Like this is what Isaiah hoped for in his book. This is the dreams that Daniel saw that he wrote down. This is what Hosea exemplified. This Jesus, this Messiah that would come and make us new. This is what every prophet in the Old Testament and every prophecy in there was longing for. And here's the awesome truth, is that we get to experience it. And then in verse 12, It's one of the most striking verses in all of Scripture, I think. It says, concerning this salvation, this is not only things that prophesied awaited. This is not only things prophets prophesied about. It's such an amazing work that the angels long to look at it. The heavenly beings who are described as being in the throne room of God for all creation, crying, holy, holy, holy. 
holy. They long to see the salvation, not in a way where it's like they're separated from it because they see how far we've fallen and they see the graciousness of God in it. And because they are so obsessed with God's glory, they know what an amazing work it is when one of us turns to him, when one of us dies to our sin and is raised to new life, the angels are like waiting for this moment for this to happen and they glorify God because of it. Because God's glory is fully on display when we are born again. God's glory is so fully on display when we are born again that the angels themselves are like obsessed with it. They long for it. We are born again for his glory. And even the angels glorify God because of it. That's crazy to me. We are born again for his glory. But then the question may be how. How are we born again? How do we live this born again life for his glory? Well, 1 Peter 5.12 gives us a little look kind of at the end of the book. It says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Throughout this book, we're going to read that we are born again, we are exiles, that we are to be united and mature and holy, and we're to do all those things for the purpose of glorifying God, but the way that that happens in our lives, the way that's shaped in our hearts is by God's grace. Not only does Peter continually remind us who we are and why we are, Peter continually reminds us that we are to become this kind of people because of what God has done for us in Jesus. So we are to suffer well because Jesus suffered for us. We are to be holy because he is holy. We are able to stand firm. We are able to endure because because of the grace of God. There wasn't anything we could do to save ourselves, but because Jesus died for us, we are given this opportunity to have new life. And so as we live as exiles and strangers, we live in a way that glorifies God and we do it by God's grace, through God's grace, and because of God's grace. And that's why we never run too far from the table of communion. That's why we come back to it every week, because we hope that it fosters in you a dependence on what Jesus has done for you, to remind you that there's nothing you could have done to save yourself, but God loved you so much that he left heaven, took on the punishment for your sin so that he could impute you his righteousness, so that you could be counted as righteous in the sight of God. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves, but God saved us out of his great grace for us. As you walk towards the table with empty hands, I hope you're reminded how little you brought to the table. And as you rip the bread, which represents his body, and dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, God's call to you is, it's all right that you brought nothing to the table because I did the work for you. It is by my grace that you are born again. It is by my grace you're going to be able to live this life for my glory. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are born again for his glory by his grace. And if that's true of you, if you've been born again, 
If you've died to your sin and been raised to new life in Christ, I invite you to come take communion with us in just a minute, remembering your dependence on him. And maybe this morning you're hearing all this talk about Jesus and redemption and new life and forgiveness, and you're saying to yourself, like, I need that. I need that Jesus. I need that redemption. I need to be born again. I need that new start like Peter there's people, Diane, if, if you want to pray with people in the back who need prayer for that, I invite you to pray with him. Come talk to Chuck or I after service. We want to celebrate. If you want a new life, if you want to turn to Jesus, if you want to be born again, we want to celebrate that with you. Church, we have been born again for his glory by his grace. Let's worship God for this miraculous truth. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.